We read the Holy Scriptures this evening from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Galatians, beginning in Galatians chapter 5 and continuing into chapter 6. We'll begin our reading at Galatians 5, verse 13, and we'll read through Galatians 6, verse 10. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. <clears throat> This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our Lord abideth forever. And may he bless the reading thereof unto our hearts. The text that we consider this evening is Galatians 6, verse 2. 
Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we begin the sermon this evening in the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we read these words, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Lovely image, lovely description there in the book of Ephesians when it comes to the mutual ministry of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, the head and king of the church and members who are united to him through faith, called here to minister one to another and to edify one another by the word of Jesus Christ. You'll notice in that image there how that stands in contrast to any kind of spirit of individualism, independentism. The idea of a Christian on his own, disconnected from the church, is a foreign concept to the Scriptures. Much rather do the Scriptures emphasize the communion of the saints, that we are together partakers of Christ and members one of another and therefore called to use that which we have been given for the advantage and salvation of other members. Well, it's that idea that is expressed now in the text we consider this evening, Galatians 6, verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You'll notice in chapter 6 that it begins with this word, brethren, brothers, and included there, of course, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. The image there of a family, not just an image, but the reality of the family of God. All who believe have God for a father and Jesus Christ for a brother. And in this family, well, what's the duty of family members towards each other? And it's love. Loving each other. And that love now that is becoming to the children of God, that love as shaped in this way, Galatians 6, 2, bearing one another's burdens. Well, that's a good thing for us to consider because as we'll see, there are many burdens. And what this text teaches us is that uh, it's not meant for the Christian to have to shoulder his burdens on his, uh, by himself. And the wonderful image here of so many members giving their shoulder to each other to help one another bear those heavy burdens that it pleases God to send us in this life. Bear ye one another's burdens under these divisions. In the first place, the calling to bear. In the second place, according to the law of Christ. And in the third place, by the Spirit. The Spirit who actuates the members of the body to this bodily activity of bearing each other's burdens. So that word burdens there, bearing one another's burdens, means that you have burdens. We as a congregation have burdens. We as members in particular have burdens. And the idea of burden there is 
that which weighs down, that which is heavy, heavy to be borne, the kind of thing, the kind of burden or struggle or affliction or sorrow that you can see at times written on the face of your brothers and sisters. Just a look in the eyes is enough to say that, that someone here is bearing a heavy burden. Now there are many kinds of burdens. On the foreground in chapter 6 are <clears throat> sin-related burdens, as we'll see. But this idea of burdens extends more broadly to the whole range of burdens that a human being, and a Christian in particular, experiences in this life under the sun. Those burdens may be the burden of sickness or disease, the burden of the grief that a loved one feels in the wake of the death of a loved one. It may be infirmity of the body, it may be infirmity of the mind. It may be the burden of that young person or that young adult who is experiencing depression. Perhaps a burden known only to few or perhaps a burden known only to that brother or sister and the Lord Jesus Christ. It may, the, may be the burden, the heaviness, the weight of loneliness. The burden that's felt by those who feel a little bit on the outside of what's going on uh, in this congregation. It may be the burden of the wounds and scars that are left when someone is harmed by another. Wounds and scars that can be experienced all one's life. It can be the burden of a broken relationship. The burden that children feel growing up in a broken home. Or the burden that a spouse feels when he or she has been abandoned, deserted by, by the other. There's so many. There's so many. In, in one congregation, there's so many. And, and time would fail us if we were to try to list every single burden in, in particular that we experience. There's just so many. On the foreground, as we said in chapter 6, is, the, is what we call sin-related burdens. Notice that this verse comes right after verse 1 where it says, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So the setting here is there's a brother or sister who's not been watching and praying as he or she ought to have been watching and praying, and next thing you know, said brother or sister has gotten himself caught up into sin. He's got his foot in the snare. He's become entangled in sin, and, and you know about it. Maybe it's drunkenness. Maybe it's um, caught in the snare of drugs. Maybe it's entangled in pornography. Only a handful of examples there. So that's a, that's a burden now that, that the Word of God here calls us as a body to mobilize to help such an one who's been overtaken in a fault. And there are other sin-related burdens as well. Just the struggle against sin. Chapter 5 points out the, the war that we feel within us. The spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh lusteth against the spirit. There's this conflict that is normal for the Christian and a hard one could be the burden of doubt. Maybe there's someone you know that struggles with assurance, doubts his or her own salvation, struggles to believe the promises of the gospel. And it's just in that, that doubt is just agonizing, just weighing that one down 
and, and he can hardly live in the joy of the gospel. So there are burdens. Now this is a helpful perspective when it comes to the church. A text like this, among many others, gives us a window here, gives us a, a description in the Bible about a, a real perspective on the church, on the communion of the saints, on the congregation. And the perspective is this. The church is not a communion of people who do not have any problems. The text implies that we have problems. We experience burdens. There is struggle. There is sorrow. And that's a reality check for us. And good to keep in mind. You know, we come to church Sunday after Sunday and we, I mean, we, we on the outside, you know, we got the, the best clothes in our closet, let's say, we're wearing. And there's many smiles. And that's good because the brethren going up together into the house of the Lord, just don't forget that deep down there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of burden in the family of God that you see gathering together next to you to hear the Word of God and and the, the Word of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And the reality of this sin struggle as well is an important perspective for us. Understanding the, the reality of this of the flesh, of the struggle, of the possibility that a Christian becomes overtaken in a fault, that understanding will serve against a kind of pharisaical looking down at the other. How, how could this have happened? How could this be? Looking down at another as though he or she were a lesser Christian because he's struggling and feels like he's not succeeding in the fight against sin. As, we read, as Jesus himself said to the Pharisees as they were turning their noses up at the uh, publicans and sinners that Jesus was ministering to, Jesus says, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the calling of the text, bear one another's burdens. Pretty, I mean... A pretty understandable concept. Here's a, someone with a burden. It's on his shoulders, weighing him down. And the calling here for us as his brethren to come to his side, to give our shoulder, to help share that load, to walk with him, next to him, and take some of that weight upon ourselves as we are able. And there are many ways. We could, we could list many ways in which this calling uh, may be exercised. Well, for one, listening. You know, sometimes we have, uh, we're, instinctively, we like to be problem solvers, you know, fixer-uppers. We hear a problem, we just want to mobilize and, you know, see, here's all the things that you have to do and everything, and we imagine that, you know, it's more simpler than it really is. But think about Job's friends. When they came to Job, the first thing they did is they just sat down next to Job and they, and they cried with him. And they, and they waited for Job to speak, and they listened to what Job said. And there, there's instruction there for us. Listening to one another, hearing the burden that she, he or she has, is a way of helping to alleviate that, to share in that, to take some of that heaviness upon yourself. Praying with one another. I think there's room for growth here. Um, 
for us, praying with each other. You know, not just praying at, uh, around the dinner table or in church or, or at the bedside, but, you know, let's say you're talking to a brother or sister who's in trouble, needs help. Why don't, why don't we pray with each other more often? Bringing the Word of God, that is the great means of God with which God equips you as Christians for the bearing of one another's burdens. When it comes to sin-related burdens, notice what it says in verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, well, let's notice what it doesn't say. It does not say this. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, do nothing and let someone else take care of it. What does it say? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. So it's a calling for us when we see someone in trouble, not to watch indifferently and disinterestedly on the sidelines, but to roll our sleeves up and to be willing to step into the trenches for the good of someone who's overtaken in a fault. Now this calling to bear one another's burdens, this, is, this implies that we know one another's burdens. How do you bear another's burdens if you don't know that burden? So that's instructive for us. It implies here, and, and there's, a, there's a calling here, that we should have an interest in the well-being of each other. Not only an interest in the well-being of ourselves, not only looking upon our own things, but looking also upon the things of others and having a loving interest for your brother or your sister's good. And that interest there, not a foul, gossipy curiosity wherein we, we hear of someone who's done this and you know, before we even call that one, we're, we're calling other people and telling them about it while that one sits there unattended. But this is that loving interest and, and it's this willingness to open ourselves up to hear the real struggles that we go through. Not that bubble mentality where we just kind of bump into each other and leave it at sports and the weather, but then we hesitate you know, to really ask, how are you doing? And even if you, if you think someone is in trouble and maybe they say, I'm doing good, and, and maybe even pressing that a little bit, not because you're curious, but because you want to help and you really think they need help. Now, very important in this calling is what we read at the end of verse 1, uh, or in verse 1, in the spirit of meekness, and then notice in verse 3 that the opposite of that humility and meekness is this, if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So this book has something to say against pride, and it's a book that encourages humility and meekness. Now it's not a coincidence that you find an admonition against pride in the book of Galatians. I mean, the great heresy that was seeping into the church was justification by faith and works. And the twin sister of self-righteousness, works righteousness, is pride. Luke 18, the parable is addressed to them that trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and the bitter fruit of that, they despised others. Well, someone who's in that way, someone who has that attitude and that mentality is not going to be interested in helping others. 
I mean, he's self-sufficient. He can take care of his own things. He's got it all going on. He's got everything straight. And, and he looks down at and, and is unwilling to, to get into the trench for that brother or that sister in need of help. Positively, meekness and humility. If you use the language of the Belgic Confession in Article 23, I believe it is, on justification, acknowledging ourselves to be such as we really are. Which is what? What are we in ourselves? Unworthy sinners. In ourselves, destitute of any good. And that humble mentality there, you know, in that mentality, in that mentality, in that attitude, when we when we come to the side of, we'll be coming to the side of the brother or sister, and not standing over and looking down at the brother or the sister. And we will go about bearing one another's burdens, not as though we are any better or that we have in any way made ourselves to differ, but doing this out of a love for Jesus Christ and seeking to do His will. We occupied the same plane. It's like at the Lord's Supper. There's not higher and lower seats at the Lord's Supper, is there? There's, there's one level of seats, and the level of seats is sinners saved by grace who seek in Jesus Christ all of their salvation. So one more thing before we consider that expression, the law of Christ, and the second point, according to the law of Christ, and that is this. Bearing one another's burdens means a willingness to be burdened. A willingness to take upon ourselves something of that weight that is depressing, that is weighing down upon a fellow family member. It requires, in other words, it requires a willingness to be burdened. It requires a willingness to give of ourselves, to give of our time that we like to spend on all of our entertainments and things like that. It requires a willingness to uh, spend effort. It requires space in our heart and mind. You see, much more preferable according to the flesh, much more preferable to the flesh than bearing one another's burdens is minding your own business and not getting into it because of how much work it's going to be. Much more preferable not to get, it, not to get involved at all. By nature, we are selfish creatures. By nature, we like to look upon our own things and maybe a passing glance to someone in time of need. We like to spend our time, spend our energy upon ourselves when there are so many that could use that time and energy uh, in time of need. So let's, let's consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And with that word Christ, the Apostle Paul directs their faith unto their and to our Lord and Savior, who is the burden bearer par excellence. He is the burden bearer. Underline, capitalized, uh, italicized, bolded. The burden bearer. So how about Jesus? What did Jesus do? We did exactly this thing right here, bear one another's burdens. 
And who is Jesus? Jesus is the eternal Son of God who was under no obligation to step down into the trenches of this sinful, fallen world in which we live. He, Jesus, as God, is eternally self-sufficient. He has no need of others, no need of the creature. He is divine. And yet, because of His great love wherewith Jesus loved us, what did He do? He was willing to come down from heaven and become man. He was willing to take upon Himself our flesh and be birthed by a woman. He was willing to step into this sad world, which is our fault because of our fall in Adam. And we read in Philippians chapter 2, being in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be used to his own advantage. But he emptied himself. And he took upon him the form of a servant. Why? To bear the burdens of sinners. That's amazing grace. As Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, even as the Son of Man, he who is worthy that every mortal creature that bumped into him should instantly fall upon the ground and worship him and give themselves to him. Jesus, even as the Son of Man, came not to be ministered unto. He wasn't about that. He wasn't about coming into this world to make others serve Him and to use His power to His own advantage. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. And what a kind of many that is. So when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, it's, it was a life of burden-bearing. It was a life of coming to the side of them that are in need. In so many ways, there's so many illustrations that we could use. He was a busy man, and he was busy with burdens. When Jesus went to the Samaritan woman, he had a pass to Samaria. I mean, there's the Samaritan woman there, a sinner. I mean, a handful of husbands. And, and Jesus comes here and, and he doesn't give her the stiff arm. I mean, every, like, Jewish did not hang out with Samaritans. You didn't go through Samaria. You didn't, you didn't talk to Samaritans. They were like an inferior people in the eyes of the Jews. And not only that, but a woman. Jesus comes and he, he helps her. He restores her that was overtaken in a fault. He reproves her. For her sin. And he, he shows her who He is, the Messiah, and He brings her the Gospel. Bear, he went about bearing her burden. Zacchaeus, chief of the publicans. Enemy number one, you might say, in the city of Jericho. And Jesus makes a beeline to His house. And He, over, and he restores such an one that was, that was overtaken in a fall. And, and you have Zacchaeus. Jesus brings Zacchaeus to repentance and faith in him. The woman caught in adultery. Jesus restored her. The publicans, harlots, sinners, Peter after his fall. I know that those are sin-related burdens. I mean, how many times do you find Jesus, he wants to, he's going to go and pray by himself. He's going to rest and refresh. And the next thing you know, someone comes up and says, there's a problem. Someone's in trouble. And you know what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say, please hold and give me a break. He went 
And He gave more of Himself to bear that other's burden. Now why did Jesus do that? Well, remember that Jesus did not just or mainly come into this world to set a good example for us. He is the greatest example. I mean, He is so worthy to be imitated. And the Scriptures call us to imitate Him and to follow, to follow Christ in that way. To walk uh, in a Christ-like way. But Jesus is more than an example. Because if the message was only that Jesus is an example, that's not good news for sinners, is it? If Jesus is just an example. He didn't come into this world only to set an example. He came into this world to bear our burdens in a saving way. He came into this world as the Savior of us who believe in Him. And He came into this world to bear our burdens. What burdens? The burden of our sin. The burden of our guilt. The burden of our death. The burden of our failure to fully obey God's law the way that we ought to obey God's law. He undertook to bear all of our burdens. All things necessary unto our salvation. We read in Isaiah chapter 53 that the Lord hath laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. And you see the weight of that burden, do you not? When you hear your Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating as it were great drops of blood underneath a most heavy burden that was so much that, that for a moment Jesus, He prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. And it's that burden that Jesus bore. And it's for Your salvation, everyone who believes in Him, that He bore it. Fully atoned for our sins. Fully accomplished the law of God for our justification. And said, hanging on the cross, it is finished. The burden is born. Salvation is won. The forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And God raised Him from the dead. Matthew 11, verse 28 Here's the word of our burden bearer. And what does he say? He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. All ye burdened ones. All ye who groan beneath the burden of your guilt. All ye who groan unable to do the law of God enough the way that it ought to be kept. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from the burden bearer. The law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The idea there is as Christians, as those who are in Jesus Christ, as His disciples, as them that believe in Him, Jesus as our Lord, He expresses to us this law, this will towards us, how He will have us to live as Christians. It is the third use of the law. It is the Rule of gratitude, how God's people ought to conduct themselves 
and now in this way, in bearing one another's burdens. What's remarkable in this expression is, let's look at the big picture. The book of Galatians is a book that very much has to do with the law. And throughout the book of Galatians, you find the Apostle Paul taking the canons out against wrong understandings and wrong uses of the law of God. For example, you had, the the setting was there were Judaizers, as they're called, people who wanted to make Jews out of the Gentiles, but there were Judaizers who were teaching the heresy of justification by faith plus. Except he be circumcised, he cannot be saved, they said. And they, 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 in their judgment, faith, was, faith alone was not enough for justification. You had to do something else. You had to add a work onto the faith whereby we rest in Christ and receive his righteousness. So they, it was justification by faith plus that they taught. And the Apostle Paul in this book is at pains to point out not only the uh, heresy of that, but to present again to these Galatians who had forgotten the pure gospel of justification through faith alone and not by works. He says to the Judaizers, whoever wants to go that way for their justification, whoever wants to, to, to try to do enough to be justified is a debtor to the whole law. You better keep the law perfectly with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength or else you're a dead man because it says, cursed is everyone who continues not in the book of the law uh, to do that which is written. So when it says fulfill the law of Christ here, understand that that is not in order to be justified by it. It's not bear one another's burdens and by your obedience earn the right to eternal life. And neither is it bear ye one another's burdens in order to escape condemnation. The wonder of the Gospel is that for all who believe in Jesus Christ, there is no more work to be done for your justification and for the right to eternal life. It really is finished, as Jesus said. The law of Christ here, this, what's remarkable is the Apostle Paul who has been at pains to point out and to, to, do, uh, to militate against those errors and those heresies. It's not like he was against the idea of law in itself. It's not as though the word law itself is a dirty word or something that we should be suspicious about. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says the law is good, it is holy, it is the law of God. And so what we find here is that Jesus did not come into this world to do away with law in the lives of those who believe in Him. Jesus came into this world to redeem us from the curse of the law. He came into this world fully to obey God's law for our justification and on the basis of his work on the cross to restore us to obedience to God's law. That childlike, willing obedience that springs from faith by the Spirit. The law of Christ. Another passage that uses similar terminology is 1 Corinthians 9, verse 21. And we'll read verses 20 and 21. Paul talking about how he accommodated himself in his mission work. 
And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Another translation uh, includes there, and the meaning is certainly correct. I became as under the law, though not being under the law. Verse 21, to them that are without law, as without law. And then here, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Literally, we are in law to Christ. As Christians, as those who are united to Jesus, His law comes to us as those who are in Him, as the rule of gratitude, how He will have us to live. We are subject to His jurisdiction, one dictionary says about that last passage we read. So what is the law? What's the law of Christ? What is the will of the Lord towards us? Well, what do you hear Jesus saying again and again uh, in the days leading up to his death? What do you hear Jesus say again and again in the book of John to his disciples and later in the first epistle of John? And what is it? It's love each other. It's love. Love one another. And now that love, as it takes shape in this way, in verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens. It is love expressing itself. It is that one same will of God from the beginning now as it comes to us in Christ as His redeemed people that we love and that in love we bear. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, of course, it's not as though the Christian ever perfectly fulfills God's law. And that's why the Christian needs the gospel all his life too because there's not a day day that goes by wherein we come short. But by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, there is already in this life a small beginning of new obedience. The new obedience of love for God and love for one another. And as we said, that new obedience is by the Spirit. That's the third point, and I want you to see that that's definitely here in the context. We read chapter 5, one of the reasons for reading part of chapter 5 is it sets this admonition in the context of the church as the, the Spirit-indwelt people of God. All those who are in Jesus Christ through faith have the Spirit, the Spirit of our Lord. And it is by the Spirit that we go about bearing one another's burdens. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. You could put a capital S there. Ye which are spiritual. You who have the Spirit. Not as though it's a special class of Christian, but Christian people are spiritual. Capital S. You are indwelt by the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? And how does the Spirit bring about this bearing one another's burdens? Well, we, the, the Spirit writes the law of God in our inward parts. The law of Christ, Christ by His Spirit, he, he engraves it right upon our hearts, right upon those fleshly, He makes our, our hearts fleshly tables and he, he writes the law upon our hearts so that by the Spirit we want to do what Jesus tells us to do. 
So that by the Spirit hearing this admonition uh, arises from within us, the I want to. I want to do this. That same Spirit, He conforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. He makes us Christ-like. And what is the image of the one into which the Spirit transforms us? It's the image of one who bore burdens. He conforms us into that image. And it's the fruit of the Spirit's activity in our hearts that we will and begin to do precisely that which Jesus calls us to do, which is to bear one another's burdens. Earlier we mentioned the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who bore our burdens in a, in a, in a saving way, thereby winning for us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now that's not just theological from the perspective of it. It's not just uh, something for the head, for the brain, but it's precisely that gospel which is the motive power in the life of the Christian, to do that which Jesus calls us to do. It's that gospel of our burden-bearer Jesus Christ that fills the sails with wind of the Christian life. It's that gospel that fuels the engine that is the Christian life as it moves along the tracks of the law of God. And even as Jesus said in John, without me you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Well, implied by that then is seek in Jesus Christ and look to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and this, this motivation to do that which He calls us to do. Thoughts like these. We said earlier, it's going to require of you time, is it not? Time out of your busy day. Time out of your busy schedule. Maybe even the giving up of, of that which otherwise you would like to do. It's going to require effort. Bearing one another's burdens is not an activity that is done by us sitting on the couch watching TV, for example. It's going to require getting involved. And we feel, according to the flesh, our, our hesitance to get involved. To roll our sleeves up. To put on our boots. To step into the trenches. To help each other in time of need. And so the Apostle Paul, he directs our faith to Jesus Christ. Think about it this way, Christian. Jesus took time out of his schedule, you might say, for you. Jesus Christ, who eternally dwells as God, he took the time out of his day to come down into this world for you. This Jesus was willing to roll up His sleeves and take upon Himself your sin and your guilt for the remission of your sins, that you might have righteousness and eternal life. Jesus was willing, and He is willing, and He's still busy as our Lord and Savior in heaven, getting involved, being at our side, stepping into the trenches of the mess that we make for ourselves because He loves us. And it's recognizing this Jesus Christ for you and for me. And through faith, believing this gospel, that you are forgiven for the sake of the merits of God's Son, 
It's that gospel that fills the heart with love. With love for Jesus. The love in which we say words like these, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? How shall I express my gratitude to thee for so great a deliverance? And the arm of your Lord and Savior is directed to whom? To the people that are sitting around you right now this evening. How shall I love thee, O Lord? And he directs you to your brothers and sisters, before you, behind you, to the left and to the right. And he says, love my brethren, love your brethren, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, bless thy word unto our hearts. Conform us more and more to the image of thy Son. And grant that we may love each other, not only in word, but in very deed. And grant that we may walk in a way that is reflective of Jesus Christ, burden-bearer for us. And that thereby we may testify to thee our gratitude for so great deliverance. Forgive our sins, renew us by thy Spirit, and hear our prayer. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.